0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Turn, if you would, to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. While you're turning there, I was thinking about this song Uh, Lord, I need you, you know. And the reality is that life is one big lesson saying that very thing. Lord, I need you, right? Isn't that what life's all about? Realizing that you need the Lord and then he comes and provides for our every need. That's what Christianity is all about, what God has done. Amen. So as we turn there, let's come before the Lord and ask him to do what only he can do. Because we need the Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts right now so that we might hear what the Spirit wants to say. Father God, we thank You. I thank You for this time. And I thank You for Your faithfulness. And I thank You for Your great love. Lord, I thank You that You love us so much that You've written letters to us in the Word of God. Lord, that You love Your bride. You love Your church so much that You would speak directly to the church, that You would address the church, that You would address the church of Ephesus that we're going to read about, and You would address Smithfield Baptist Church as well, Lord, because You care about Your people. And we thank You for Your faithfulness. And I just pray, Father, as we step into this time, Lord, this moment, whatever we've brought in to the room, whatever struggles, whatever trials, whatever fears, whatever worries, whatever has just been heavy on our souls, Lord, would You direct us to Yourself? Would You you help a song bubble up in our hearts? Lord, I need You. Oh, how I need You. You're my one defense, my righteousness, oh Lord, how I need You. Father, would You do what only You can do as the Word of God is proclaimed? Lord, make a hundred sermons hit us in all sorts of different ways. Because You're working in Your Word and doing surgery in the nooks and crannies of our soul. And Father, we just ask that You would blow upon this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I love campfires more than I love camping, right? I I, I like the campfire thing. I like being in the outdoors. I, I like the the warmth you feel from the fire. I like throwing the logs into the fire, roasting a little marshmallows and stuff like that over uh, the campfire. And I, I just enjoy the experience of just having everybody around. And you're just like, there's this quiet, but you can hear the crackling of the fire and all of that. But you learn real quick, right, when you're doing a campfire that you gotta keep that thing going. Right? Like, you you don't do anything. You don't put any logs in. You don't tend to the fire. And all of a sudden, it starts going out. All of a sudden, it starts getting cold. All of a sudden, you just see just little embers and it starts to fizzle out. Unless you drag another log and go put that log on the fire, it's not going to burn bright. It's not going to shine its light. It's going You're not going to sense the heat. And so... As I was thinking about this this week, I realized like this is kind of a parable of what happens with our love for Jesus, because like a campfire, you have to continue to kindle your love for Jesus, right? You might have had a fire brewing in your heart. Right? You might have had a fire brewing in your soul. When you first got saved, you loved Jesus. You were so excited. You were coming to church. You were coming to prayer meetings. You were evangelizing. And then over time, you didn't stoke the fires. You didn't throw the logs in. And all of a sudden, your heart began to grow cold. Well, we're going to read about a church that did all sorts of great things. Man, They set up the campfire, or they set up the camp They set up the tents, they had all the safety precautions, they brought the food, and they did all of that, but they forgot to tend to the campfire, and Jesus speaks to them and says, your love has grown cold. You've done all of that stuff, and that's great, but your love for me has grown cold. And as we approach this passage, this is just, this is really a personal text to me. Because there are texts in Scripture. There are passages in the Bible. All of the Bible's inspired. All of the Bible comes from God. But there's some that just kind of land on you, and they bring you back to the Lord. They they come and they fan the flame of your love for Jesus. And this passage has brought me back to a deep, deep love for Jesus again and again and again. And my prayer is that this would just do that in our souls. Whether we think like, hey, my love for Jesus is all good. Or you feel already, you're sensing like the embers are beginning to burn out. And I'm feeling a little bit cold. I'm like the, camp, you know, the family around the campfire and it's going out. And we're all getting a little chilly and we're starting to murmur. Right? This passage has been so helpful for For me, personally, to bring me back many, many times. And we need these words. That's why Jesus wrote a letter to Ephesus. And to six other churches. Because He could diagnose our spiritual condition. Tell us what we need. Tell us what we're doing right. And encourage us to keep seeking Him. So as we come to the book of Revelation... As we come to chapter two, I just want us to think about what the Spirit has to say to you. How can you rekindle your love for Jesus? How can you continue to fan the flame of your love for Jesus? So let's look at chapter two and verse one. Actually, let's back up to verse 20 and we'll kind of ease into it because verse 20 helps us understand. This letter. Verse 20 of chapter 1. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then here's Jesus' words to His first church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. Pretty good so far. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent." Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ears, or he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is a powerful passage. This is a powerful word directed to the church. But you'll notice, right, verse 7 reminds us it's to all the churches, right? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? It's not just Ephesus. This is for all churches, right? And truth be told, there's a little bit of Ephesus in all of us. There's a little bit of Ephesus in every church. There's a little bit of Thyatira in every church. There's a little bit of Laodicea in every church, right? So ultimately, whether or not this passage uh, directly hits us in every way that we would expect, it's for us. It's for our church. And I've been a pastor long enough to know how easy it is to lose your first love. And so we come to this letter To the church of Ephesus. And right, you need to know something about the city of Ephesus. Because it was the fourth largest city of Rome. It was a religious epicenter. And it was a religious hub for all kinds of idolatry. And the worship of Artemis was very prominent there. It had a big temple to Artemis. And it was famous and known. And in the ancient world, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so this place called Ephesus was just filled with all sorts of religion, all sorts of uh, magical sort of occultic stuff was going on. There was temple prostitution. There was rampant sexual immorality. There was a gross, immoral culture that said light was darkness and darkness was light. And so this church is smack dab in the middle of this great city. And the church of Ephesus would be the greatest church in Asia Minor. It would be the flagship, right? From which Paul would be sending out his missionary activities. It was like a missionary sending base. This church was planted by the Apostle Paul in Acts 19 with Priscilla and Aquila. This church was pastored by Timothy. This church was pastored by eventually the Apostle John himself in his old age. The Apostle of love. And Jesus cares enough to speak to his churches. And the first thing I want us to see, right, as we step into this, is we get a picture of Jesus right up front. We get a picture of Jesus in verse 1 because what Jesus wants you to know ultimately is something about his identity, who he is, that's going to address maybe something we're missing in our own hearts. And maybe something that will address the problem of the lovelessness, right, that's going on in the church of Ephesus. So look at verse 1, and we get a picture of Jesus to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So, we see right off the bat a glorious picture of the intimacy of Jesus and the sovereignty of Jesus over His church. Jesus is in control and Jesus cares about His church. Right? Jesus is pictured here as the one who holds the seven stars. And we read that the seven stars are the seven angels in verse 20 of chapter 1. And so, uh, whether that's a guarding angel, or whether that angel can also be translated in the Greek, messenger. So it could have been a pastor, or it could have been a a messenger, kind of like we send messengers to conventions for the Southern Baptist Convention, there, there, there's a sense in which Jesus has got this church in His hands. Jesus has Ephesus in His hands. Nothing is outside of His control. No, nothing is outside of His domain of rule. This church, He's got a firm grasp on. And so we're encouraged right here with this picture of His character of one who has this church in His hands. And this church was embattled, right? This church went through it. This church went through intense persecution. In fact, all of the churches in the letters that we see in Revelation were intensely persecuted churches. John is writing this whole book of Revelation from an island on Patmos Because he was banished for his faith to this little island to write letters. The emperor, just get him out of here. He's talking too much about Jesus, right? So he's isolated, but he's writing to the church. And what a comfort it is to know, right, if you've been through it, if you're going through it right now, if you're in the throes of a trial, if you're in the wake of a trial and you're like, I just kind of getting through I'm just getting through this thing He holds the seven stars in his hand. He holds Ephesus. It's like I got you. I got you Smithfield. I've got you church. I've got you in my hand. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we feel like I'm all alone in this thing and nobody cares. But Jesus is in control. And Jesus actually cares. And so we see a picture of the intimacy of Jesus. Did you notice it? Verse 1 again. He's the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And again, verse 20 of chapter 1, right? The golden lampstands are what? The churches. So Jesus is walking up in the midst of the churches. He's walking with the churches. He's with the church of Ephesus. He's with Smithfield. He's with every church that names the name of Jesus and faithfully proclaims the gospel and has born-again believers in it. Right? Jesus is with His church and He's walking among His church and He's intimately acquainted with its works and its struggles and its characters and He knows you individually and personally. He knows what you're bringing to the table. He knows where you're at. He knows if you're in gross compromise right now or if you're walking faithfully in the Lord. He knows if you're traveling in the dark but saying you're in the light. Right? And he knows if you're living in the light and walking in the light. Jesus actually knows us. And Jesus actually cares about us. And Jesus wants us to know right up front. Like I'm the one who walks among the golden lampstands. I'm with the church. That's why. On Sunday, I always tell you, like, Jesus is up in this place, right? He's walking among us. You never get to a place where, like, Jesus doesn't see what's going on, right? Jesus is not like, Father, can you, like, send an angel down there? Like, I don't know, let's figure out what's going on. Send somebody to Smithfield because I'm not sure what's happening over there. Like, he's not out of touch, right? He's walking with us. He's walking among the golden lampstands because he loves us. And sometimes we think about this, and you know, it can do two things. We can tremble because we know we're not right with the Lord, or we can rejoice and we're comforted because it's like, my Lord's walking with me. And He desires that intimacy. And isn't it interesting that the very area we're going to get to it that they're failing, they've lost their first love, they've lost their love for the Lord. They've lost the sweetness of that deep relationship. Jesus says, I'm walking among the churches. So we get a picture of Jesus in this first verse. And then He moves us, right, from the picture to a profound encouragement. We get a profound encouragement. It's like Jesus doesn't just notice the bad stuff, right? Like sometimes right? You might feel like, well, it's just always about the bad stuff. It's always about the stuff I'm all messed up in and I'm all, you know, it's always negative. It's always about that. But Jesus sees it all. Like He sees the good stuff. He sees what you're doing well. He sees, it's like, I used to hate getting report cards, right? Um, And I would like try to intercept them in the mail sometimes before my parents got them because report cards to me, it was like, that's all the bad stuff right? Not Jesus' report card, right? Like, Jesus' report card sees the good and the bad, and truth be told, let's be fair to teachers, right? They're sending report cards for your good, amen? Kids, sorry, that's the truth, right? It's for your good. Well, Jesus has a word, right, for the church, for our good. And the first thing he does, like any good shepherd, give you some encouragement. So verse two, look at it. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Verse three, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So because Jesus walks among his church, because Jesus is walking among the golden lampstands, he actually can observe the good things that are going on and the healthy things. And he wants to encourage Ephesus like, this is the stuff you're getting right. And, and, And keep doing this. Like, I know, I've seen what you've been doing. I've seen your toil. I've seen your labor. I've seen your patient endurance. I know the blood, sweat, and tears you've poured into service for King Jesus. I see it. I see that you care about doctrinal matters. I see that you're tenacious to hold on to the gospel in a day and age when so many churches are abandoning the gospel. But you're holding on. You're doing your due diligence. You're, you got your Bible open. You're hungry for these things. You want to know more about God and you want to you, you, you understand and defend the apostles doctrine like that was Ephesus. It's like, yeah, we had Paul as our pastor. We had Timothy. We had John. We were well taught, well shepherded, and we're holding on to that. And we see, we see somebody who's coming up and saying they're an apostle or saying they're a missionary or saying they're a pastor and they're not preaching the Word of God or they're preaching something twisting the Word of God. We're going to call that out. We're the kind of people who you know, we will boot a pastor out for preaching some false teaching, right? If they're denying the gospel of Jesus Christ, get out, right? That's, that's Ephesus. They just didn't tolerate that stuff. They didn't tolerate those who are evil, right? They had a holy intolerance. We're in, in our day and age, right? Tolerance means you got to agree with everybody, even though it never meant that, right? Tolerance means you disagree with somebody, but you're willing to respect them. Right, And ultimately, this church cared when members were in gross immorality and sin. They cared when people named the name of Jesus, but were viewing internet pornography. They cared when people were naming the name of Jesus and living in adultery. They cared... And they did something about it in a loving way, in a Christ-honoring way. And Jesus is commending them. Right? Sometimes we get a little... Uh, right? Church discipline, and, 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 and you're going to call somebody out in their sin, and it's like... It, that, no, like there's a way to do that lovingly. And there's a way to lovingly come alongside somebody and say, no, like we can't have that going on. That's not in step with Christ. Right? They were in the epicenter of sexual immorality. Temple prostitution all over the place. Religion and sexual immorality went together in Ephesus. So you better believe they had to kind of negotiate that. Jesus like, I've seen your toil, your works, your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. And most of the time, false teachers teach you to live a false Christian life. That's cool with denying the gospel and living in immorality, right? Jesus calls us to purity and to holiness. And when we're messed up, right? He gives us these words to draw us back. Right? That's what's happening. He's commending them for their faithfulness. And they didn't just... They weren't just doctrinally orthodox and sound and combating false doctrine and false teaching and looking at the ideologies of the culture and saying, no, this is what the Word of God says about that. They did that. But they continued to endure through some of the most harsh persecution and difficulty bearing up for the namesake of Jesus. Look at verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary of doing good. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we just, we just need a word from Jesus. Like, don't grow weary in the battle. Don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of faithfulness. Don't grow weary in your service to Jesus. Right? if we begin to neglect our hearts in the service of the Lord, we grow weary. If we begin to neglect our soul care, but we're doing all this stuff in the name of Jesus, but our hearts we're not tending to, then we begin to fizzle out. And listen, Paul talked to Ephesus and he told them about the false teachers. In Acts chapter 20, he told Ephesus as he left, and Ephesus was just brokenhearted. Paul's leaving and he's giving him his last words words of admonishment, words of encouragement. And he says to Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, and listen to this. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. From your own ranks, the false teachers come. And that's a a good word, right? Ephesus was like, Paul said that the the heresy and the false teaching was going to come inside the church, from within. Sometimes we think, it's all out there, we don't have to worry about all that. But listen, some of the most egregious false teachers and... And false apostles throughout church history were the ones who came up from within and abused their power, abused their authority, and twisted the word of God. And that was on Ephesus' radar. Like, we got to care about that. We got to labor against that. And we've got to seek to raise up people who are going to stand on the book. So, let me just pause here and just say, are we committed as a church to the Word of God? Are we committed to the study as we approach the new year, as we're starting the new year? Do you have a plan to get this book in your heart? Right? There's many plans you can have on Bible apps. You can get a study Bible, read through it, but endeavor, commit, to study the Word of God so that you know you can spot truth from error like Ephesus and be commended by Jesus. Like, I I know your works. And you've been faithful in this and it's so encouraging. And so I just want to say, let's take a cue from Ephesus on this. This is one place where we want to follow Ephesus. But I want us to imagine if a church is embroiled in all sorts of doctrinal defenses, if a church is embroiled in continuing to have to root out heresy in its midst, if a church is in a a, a melting pot of all sorts of sexual immorality and false religions and all of these things, and it's trying, trying to stay vigilant to remain true to the Gospel, could you see how maybe some of its members would begin to grow cold and perhaps neglect their own soul and their own relationship with Jesus and need to hear this next word from Christ? And we see it in the point three, a piercing rebuke, right? He gives us a picture of Himself. He gives us the commendation of what we're doing right in Ephesus. And then He says a piercing rebuke you have left your first love. And I was thinking about it, Like, what, you know, what does it mean to be all in for Jesus? What does it mean to be all in with your heart? What does it mean to actually love Jesus first? Right? It means that we don't have anything competing with Jesus as the most important thing in our life. And our love and our affection and our cultivation of this relationship with King Jesus is what we hold dear. And while we learn a lot about Jesus and while we learn a lot about the Word of God and we sit under the Word every Sunday and we have Bible studies and we have prayer meetings, we cannot neglect our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ individually and corporately. So everything we do ought to be designed to promote that health and that soul commitment to Jesus. And something had broken along the lines in Ephesus. And they hear the words of verse 4. But, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Jesus is telling them you've left your first love. You've left the sweet relationship right, that you once had. You've, you've taken a relationship with me and you've made it into purely just a religion. You've taken the worship of Jesus and just made it about work. You've t- taken the relationship and you've made it about rules. You've taken my presence in your midst. And you've isolated yourself from the very intimacy I'm calling you to. You've left your first love. And I was thinking about, like why do churches decline, right? We could probably think of several reasons why a church declines. And maybe on our list is they don't preach the word. They don't re- remain faithful to sound doctrine. Maybe they lose their gospel focus. Maybe they're embroiled with, with inner conflicts going on within the body, right? But Ephesus was getting all of that right. But the one thing they weren't getting right was that they had lost their affection and their deep love for Jesus. They had abandoned their first love. Other things had become more important, and the fire began to grow cold. And the once flaming campfire began to fizzle out, and nothing but embers and smoke was going up. And I wonder if we examine our own hearts. And maybe we can relate to Ephesus. Maybe something's been missing in your walk with the Lord. Maybe something's been slowly breaking, right? And Christianity is no longer a delight in your heart. It's drudgery. Relationship has turned into just rule-keeping, right? Listen, if all you do is try to live by the rules, which Jesus has some commands, right? That's, that's not a bad thing. But if all you're doing is like, I'm going to muscle through just trying to be a rule keeper, and you don't have a sweet relationship with Jesus, born of faith, and the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that's just religion. And that won't save anybody. And that won't fan the flame of your Christianity when the going gets tough and you get punched in the gut. And all you have is the rule keeping. But the relationship's not there. Jesus is calling them to something so much deeper. He's calling them to something so much more intimate. He's calling them to a faith in Him and a trust in Him that does not fizzle out after a few trials hit your life. He's calling a church that's been grinding it out, trying to survive, and He's saying, come back to Me. I'm where, the, I'm where it all starts. I'm where it all finishes. I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. I, I'm the one with the eyes like a flame of fire. And when I look at you, I see what's going on. And I'm calling you back to your first love. In Ephesus... They had the who's who of pastors, right? They had the Apostle Paul. They had the Apostle Timothy, or they had Timothy. They had Apollos, one of the great golden mouth preachers. They had John the Beloved. They had the who's who of pastors, and they are being called out here. You have lost your first love, so we must think this like never think this can happen to us. It can happen. It can happen to you individually and it can happen to us as a church when we neglect so deeply the things that fan the flame of your love for Jesus. If we understood this passage, oh how our prayer meetings would fill up if we understood this text. Oh, how our love for for Jesus would be what we're known for. If we understood this text, oh, how the Bible would take on all sorts of new realities in our life. If we understood this text, we would sense the call of the Master saying to His churches, all of His churches, come to Me. Come back to your first love. And I've told you, this is very personal To me, because I've seen how lack of love for Jesus can kill the vitality of your walk with the Lord. I've seen how the embers can burn out. I've seen what it looks like in the 23 years I have been a Christian in the ebb and flow of a Christian life where Jesus has had to say to me, you have left your first love. and even afresh as I was thinking about this last night, I thought, Lord, would You be saying this to me right now? Would You be saying this to me right now? Has something dwindled? Has one of the logs went dead that used to be so vibrantly burning in your life? I wonder if we just examine, just look at me for a second. If we examine our own hearts, right? We think about that campfire. What's going on there? Is it getting cold in the camp? Are the embers dying in your heart? And would you hear the words of the One who walks among the golden lampstands? Say to you, you've lost your first love. Well, Jesus doesn't just diagnose the heart, right? He doesn't just diagnose the problem. He doesn't just diagnose the reality that they they had forsaken their first love. But He gives them a recipe for rekindling. He gives them a plea for repentance. And that's the fourth thing we see. So Jesus wants to help us return to our first love. He wants to help Ephesus return to their first love. Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus wants to tell us and Ephesus... There's two things that you need to do to rekindle your love for Jesus. You've got to remember. And you have to repent. You have to remember, he says to Ephesus. Remember from where you've fallen. You want to address your fading love for Jesus and your fading love for others and your fading love for evangelism? You must remember from whence you have fallen do you remember the love that you had when you first got saved? Do you remember being awakened to the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the greatness of Jesus Christ? And seeing the sweetness and the truth of Christianity just come alive in your heart and being called out of darkness, called out of your sin, called out of your evil and forgiven and made new and having the Holy Spirit deposited it in your heart and then realizing like this thing is real, this, this Jesus saved me, this Jesus is so glorious and the first thing you wanted to do is just get in church. And you wanted to know Jesus so much deeper. I've got so much to learn. You wanted to get into the word of God. I've got so much to read in this book. I've got so much to explore. Give me a compass. Let's go. Right? And you wanted to tell people about Jesus. He was so precious to you. And you just wanted to tell them. You just couldn't wait to tell them. And you were a little afraid, but you just went through it. You're like, no, I'm going to tell him this is too good. And you started investigating this thing called prayer. And you were like, prayer means I get connected to Jesus? I want more of that. Do you remember what it was like when you were first saved? Do you remember when the fires were stoked in your soul for Jesus? That's what Jesus is telling them. Remember from whence you have fallen. I can remember when I first got saved. It literally meant that the ire of my father was going to be stoked. It meant I would lose all my friends. It meant that I would be living in the Marine Corps as one of maybe like two Christians That I knew of thousands of people. But Jesus was so sweet and so glorious. And it was such an adventure. And day after day, it was just like, what do you have for me today, Lord? What do you have for me today? What can I explore in the word? I remember just mining out a a chart. I'm going to read the the whole Bible. I'm going to just read it through and own it. And I would take little notes in it and I wasn't a journaler. So some of y'all are like journal it, you know, but the reality was I want if God's going to speak, I want to record that. Right. And I remember when the fire was burning brightly and every so often Jesus comes to me and he says, Peter, do you remember what it was like? And perhaps he's saying that to you today. Perhaps he's saying it to you in your heart right now. Like you just know, like, hey, this is me. Well, our remembrance is supposed to lead to repentance. We don't just remember and then do nothing with it. We have to turn away from our present course and turn back to Jesus and begin to do the things we first did. And right, that's what we see in the text there in verse five. Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. And so what does it look like? It looks like wholehearted commitment. It looks like committedness to church. It looks like committedness to the book. It looks like you love the book. It looks like you love prayer. It looks like you love the people of God. It looks like you love telling people about Jesus. And it looks like this resolve to say, Lord, I have been missing it. And I am coming back to you. I repent. I acknowledge The path I was going on, the love is fizzling, and I want to turn back. And that's exactly what he called Ephesus to, and perhaps that's what he's calling us to do as a church. You know, as I was studying this, I was just dreaming a dream. I'm, 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 I'm in the text. I'm soaking it in. I'm seeing this bit like Jesus is up walking among the golden lampstands. And what do lampstands do? They give what? They give light. They shine. Right? So the first thing I start thinking about is, well, obviously this love for Jesus is going to translate in light bearing, right? It's going to translate in shining. It's going to translate in this kind of light coming out of your life to the world around you. And so I'm dreaming a dream that the Spirit of God would ignite love for Jesus in our hearts and put the Gospel on our lips and the Kingdom of God in our in our, in our view, and as we seek to live for King Jesus, that we're just aflame with the love of Christ. And the overflow of that is evangelism. The overflow of that is just telling people about Jesus. The overflow of that is telling your family members and your friends and those that you care about. And even, shall I dare say, people you don't even know, people you probably wouldn't talk to normally. Your Samaria needs to hear about Jesus. Shine, Jesus, shine. Well, I think Jesus is saying lamps are meant to be lit. And so He calls them to repentance. And did you notice that in verse 5? He says, repent and do the works you first did. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And why is He doing that? Because lampstands are supposed to shine. And if the church no longer shines for the Gospel of Christ in the world, if it's no longer growing in disciples, if it's no longer creating disciples, if it's no longer doing the Great Commission, Jesus is going to put the lampstand out. It's no longer functioning as a church. And beloved, when you think of your own personal walk, there's nothing more glorious than when the lamp stands burning bright. And you just know it. You know what it looks like. And you know what it doesn't. You know when it's burning. And you know when evangelism just becomes an overflow of living for Jesus and loving Jesus. It's been said, a church that does not evangelize will fossilize. And that's so true, right? The light goes out and a hardening comes on, and the love of Christ grows cold. Well, Jesus' book ends in verse six a little bit of rebuke, or a, a lot of rebuke, with some more encouragement. He says, You have, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we're not entirely sure what those works were, but it says over in the next uh, or in the same chapter um, we see in verse 14 that he spoke of the Nicolaitans in relationship to another rebuke. So look at verse 14. It says, but I have a few things against you. You have some who are holding to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So he's once again just trying to say, hey, I'm going to put my arm around you. You all care about this. You care about the purity of the church. And you're not being indoctrinated. You're not being sucked into the culture. You're not being sucked into this sexually intoxicated culture. And you hate what I hate. And you know what? Jesus wants us to know that part of loving Jesus means hating the things He hates. Right? We hate all evil. We love sinners, but we do hate Wickedness. We hate. I hate divorce. I hate adultery. I hate prostitution. I hate what's going on when so many are being cut down by bloodthirsty terrorists in the Middle East. But you know, when you hate the things Jesus hates... That's what it means to walk in the love of Jesus. Amen? So I want to close with a promise that Jesus gives. That's the last thing He gives us. is a promise. He says, he, verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And just notice, like, right, this is for us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If we got ears, it's for us, right? So he just he just wants to say, like, hey, this is for you, Ephesus. This is for you, Smithfield. This is for you, Peter. And fill in the blank, right? You could tap yourself on the shoulder and say, yep, yeah, this is for me, right? This is what I need. And then he says, but to the One who conquers, to the One who overcomes, to the One who's victorious. He's going to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And we're just reminded, we're reminded once again, right? Back to Eden. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned and believed the serpent in Eden? They were cast out of the garden and they were no longer permitted to eat from the tree of life and they died. That was the consequence of sin. And what's the consequence of, or, or, or the promise of those who overcome? That they'll begin to eat the tree of life and be restored to the garden of God. So we come full circle with Jesus and He wants you to know that this word overcome actually means if you believe in Jesus, you overcome. Because that's the way John talks through all his Gospels. That's the way John talks through all his letters. And if you hear the words of 1 John 5.5, 5, listen to what John says to us. Who is it that overcomes the world except The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what do you need to do if you realize you've went cold? What do you need to do if you realize something's amiss in your heart and you've been struck by the Holy Spirit today and God is summoning you to make a commitment to Jesus and to be an overcomer? Well, you need to believe afresh on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will overcome. And you will be one of those who's brought into the paradise of God. You'll be one of those who tastes from the fruit of the tree of life. It's a picture of salvation. Right? Jesus wants to remind the church you keep believing the Gospel. You keep believing the Gospel. And if you're not a Christian in here, and you've kind of come to realize that, you need to believe to overcome. And be set right with God. And there's nothing but glorious goodness God has for you. He just loves you. He adores you. And that's why He sent Jesus into the world to rescue. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You now and now is a time of decision. Now is a time where we have to do something in our hearts. Maybe we need to respond to You. Maybe You've been calling us, Lord, to return to the Lord. Maybe maybe You've been calling us, Lord, and we sense we have left our first love and we want to get real and repent and do the things we first did as Christians. Maybe You are calling us to make a commitment to Jesus today. Afresh. Father, if, if... You're moving in that way. I just pray, be speaking in hearts right now. Lord, as we've been convicted by the Word and encouraged by the Word and led by the Word and loved by the Word, this is a letter for us. And I just pray, Father, that You would help us to respond. And perhaps as we're praying, maybe you realize that's you today. You need to turn away from your present course and turn to Jesus. You need to believe, Lord, not, uh, or you need to believe not just that God exists and not just that there was a person named Jesus, but you need to trust Jesus with your life. And if that's you, I would just encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart. Dear God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I've been walking away from Jesus, not towards Him. And I believe that my sin has separated me from God. But I ask Your forgiveness. And I want to trust Jesus today. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. Come into my life. Send Your Spirit into my heart and make me a new person that I might walk in the love of Jesus from this moment forward. And Father, for the rest of us, God, call us to a deep, deep love for Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.